Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. Once again, Paul has this eternal outlook, this eternal vision. He wasn't caring so much about the temporary issue of who was right and who was wrong. He wanted to make sure and certain that God's kingdom was going to be honored in the lives of the children of of the people there in Corinth and in his own life. And whenever we respond to someone who's done or is doing wrong, whether that wrong be to us or to others, The perspective that you and I need to have is an eternal one, not a temporary one. A temporary perspective will get us nothing. Today with Pastor David, we look at the exemplary illustration of Paul's patience and endurance. Paul miraculously survived many hardships and conflicts in his ministry. When ministry gets difficult, what can encourage us to keep moving forward? God has promised eternal life, and anything we live through now will be worth it. Therefore, it is worthwhile to face the challenge of living for God and loving others so that God's presence may be enjoyed forever. Now here's Pastor David with part three of today's message, Patience in Ministry. Charles Spurgeon, in speaking on this verse, he, and, the, and that concept of continually striving toward that goal of holiness in our lives, he wrote this. He says, I suppose that the nearer we get to heaven, the more conscious we shall be of our imperfections. The more light we get, the more we discover our own darkness. And that which is scarcely accounted sin by some men will be a grievous defilement to our tender conscience. It's not that we're greater sinners as we grow older, but that we should have a finer sensibility of sin and to see that to be a sin, that which we winked at in our days of ignorance. That's no big deal. But then the closer we get to the Lord Jesus, the more we realize, no, even that's a big deal. Even that's the thing that grieves my Lord's heart. That's why we can never coast as believers. We're either moving forward, church, or we're slipping backwards. We cannot coast. I'm going to take my, man, I've been so busy about things, Lord. I'm just going to take a few days off. You know what? The enemy's going to come in like a flood. Come in like a flood. I, I tell you that as a testimony of a, of, a, of a pastor that, you know, again, man, the end time of the week, man, I'm focusing in, and I'm focusing in, Lord, what are you, what are you speaking? And I'm, and I'm praying, and I'm seeking the Lord, and, and then, man, Sunday afternoon, I, ah, okay, we, we made it through. And then all of a sudden, man, every attack of the enemy starts coming in at that point in time. We cannot coast. 
his call for us to continually pursue the Lord. But because of God's precious promises to us, we need to be among those that are moving forward. That's what Paul says, man. We need, because of these promises, we need to be perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We need to be moving forward. With the assistance of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we make the choices to abstain from those actions and those attitudes of the flesh that wage war with our spirit. And in the spirit, we determine to stay focused on the will and on the work and on the promise and on the purpose of God in our lives. As Paul tells the Corinthian church a little bit later in chapter 10, he says, cast down every argument and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Why? Because the enemy's going to flood your head with all kinds of things. The world's going to flood your head with all kinds of things. Your flesh is going to flood your head with all kinds of things. You and I need to be those who say, no, I'm going to take that thought captive. I'm not going to allow it to reign and rule in my life. And I'm going to cast it out of my head. And I'm going to get back into the Word of God, or I'm going to turn on some praise and worship music, or I'm just going to pause from the cares and the concerns of the world, man. I'm going, to, I'm going to listen to the Lord. It's said of John Wesley, John and Charles Wesley's mother, who had, I believe, 12 children, that there were times as she was busy about the housework, she would take her apron and literally pull it up and over her head. And all the children knew, don't mess with mama when she's got the apron over her head because that's her quiet time. That was the only way she had to do it, man. I I just, whoa, it's just going nuts. My patience level has hit the max. I'm about to pop. Put the apron over the head and just commune with God. I hear the stories of some moms of small children and preschoolers. You got to go lock yourself in the bathroom just to have a little bit of peace and quiet and calmness. And then there's fingers under the door at that point in time. <laughs> getting alone and getting away and getting refocused, taking ev- bringing every thought into captivity. Paul moves on here in 2 Corinthians. Actually, we're going to try and finish this tonight. Verse 2 out of 16. Here, Paul continues on to encourage the church. After he's, after he's warned them, after he's concerned about, you know, hey, you need to pursue these things in your life. Now in verse 2, he says, open your hearts to us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've cheated no one. I don't say this to condemn, for I've said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I'm filled with comfort, and I am exceedingly joyful in all our what? Tribulations? You're joyful in tribulations? Paul shows the condition of his spirit really on on, on a continual basis. As I said in the open, he had this continual growing experiential knowledge of what it meant to be patient in long-suffering, always having to defend himself always having to defend his ministry to the church, the very church that he birthed, the very church that he discipled. 
despite all of the naysayers, all the, the distractors, Paul could firmly stand on his own reputation and says, look, I, I haven't wronged you guys. I haven't corrupted you. I, I haven't cheated any of you. As a matter of fact, I'm fully committed to you, even through tribulation, even unto death. Paul says, no, man, you're, you're misunderstanding who I am and my commitment to you. About the time most of our patience levels would have tipped the scales and we would be like the apostles of Jesus. You remember James and John, the, the sons of Zebedee, but what was their other name, church? The sons of thunder. They're saying, Lord, can we call down hellfire on these guys? About the time you and I would get to that point, Paul is saying, look, guys, I'm still working with you. I haven't wronged you. I haven't cheated you. I love you. I'm going to be involved with you, even in tribulation, all of these things. Paul continues on to speak in love and in patience. Paul continues on to, again, yeah, oh yeah, definitely boldness when he declares where they're wrong. But he also spoke the truth in love so powerfully that the Corinthians couldn't help but be moved by his message. They responded in a positive way by his message. Look what verse 5 and on says. He says, for indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Man, outside were conflicts, inside were fears. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation with which he was comforted by you. When he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning, your, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced even more. You see, once again, Paul reminds them of some of the stress that he had in his experiences on his way to, to be with the Corinthians and even while he was with the Corinthians. Now, on his way to come back to Corinth, he had hoped to meet with Titus up in Macedonia before he came down to Corinth. But Titus had been delayed. Titus was to have gone to the Corinthians with this letter from Paul and, and get their reaction and then return up to Macedonia to report to the Apostle Paul. But when Paul arrived in Macedonia, Titus wasn't there. And so Paul says, man, I, I'm, I'm stressing out here. Man, I, I've got fear on the inside and the outside, all, all this, because uh, man, I don't know how to respond at this point in time. Paul had undoubtedly had written a letter to them, a letter that we don't have recorded. It's a letter written after 1 Corinthians, but before 2 Corinthians. And in that letter, he appears to have been rather harsh with the church, pointing out some of their problems and some of the issues, very bold in his writing, and challenging them in a pretty bold way. He knew that if he would have visited them in the probably in the attitude that he had at that point in time, man, if I go to you guys, there's going to be heads that roll. So instead, he writes a letter, but he writes a very bold letter, gives it to Titus and says, go give this to you. We'll follow behind you. We'll meet you in Macedonia. You come back to Macedonia. You let us know how they received the letter, and we'll go from there at that point in time. He knew that if he would have visited them, a personal conflict would have been much greater than letting him have the letter, let him you know, work through the process of the letter. So he sent Titus with that. When Titus was delayed without sending word to him, 
Paul began to imagine all kinds of things, many things that possibly could have gone wrong. His heart became very heavy, very worry and sorrow and concern. Then when Titus did arrive in Macedonia, not only was Paul encouraged by his arrival, but as he says here, man, I was fully encouraged by Titus's report of the reaction of the church there in Corinth. They seem to have received that bold, that harsh, that very direct message, that letter that he sent, and then they repented from the wrongs that they were committing. And so once Paul had heard that, he realized the boldness of his letter had actually had his intended effect, but he also knew that it caused great sorrow at the same time. Listen to what he says in verse 8. For even if I made you sorry with my letter... I don't regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, but only for a while. Because now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry, what? In a godly manner, that you might suffer loss from us in nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted. But the sorrow of this world produces death. Just think of a sorrow of this world. There was sorrow probably in Cain's life after he killed Abel, not because he killed Abel, but because of the punishment of God in his life. Sorry because of that. There was sorrow in Esau after he sold his birthright, not so much because he sold his birthright, but because now he's missing out on on other stuff. It's not a godly sorrow. And we, we see this kind of sorrow, Old Testament and New. We even see it today. Somebody's messing up in life. They get busted for it. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Is it really godly sorrow? Or is it sorry because you got caught with your hand in the cookie jar, son? Yeah. Again, parents, we 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 see that. We we understand that difference. We like mom and dad caught me, you know. Uh, versus, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. World of difference in that. Paul goes on to write verse eleven, he says, For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly matter, manner. What diligence it produced in you. What what clearing of yourselves. What indignation. What fear. What vehement desire. What zeal. What vindication. And in all these things, you proved yourselves to be clear in this matter. See, Paul says, man, you, you got the letter. It broke your heart. You were sorry. You repented. And not only did you change, But you changed with zeal. You changed with vehemence, man. You wanted to do the right thing. And for that, Paul, wow. Paul is like so excited about that. Apparently, Titus' report, it became a major spiritual renewal or revival in the church there in Corinth. Paul understood that, yeah, he had made them sorrowful with those strong words for a moment, but he also realized that the sorrow led them to repentance. And beloved, that is huge. Not just a sorrow because they got caught in a bad action or attitude, 
Not just to sorrow because they were breaking or harming a relationship with somebody that they cared for. Not a sorrow that discourages or deflates. It was a sorrow that led them then on to a positive action, repentance, a clearing of themselves. Remember when David had sinned against Bathsheba. Nathan came up to him and began telling him the story of the the man with one sheep and the other neighbor with a multitude of sheep. And the guy with the multitude came over and got that one neighbor's sheep. And David was so indignant about it. He says, man, that that guy, you know, what a horrible, horrible thing. And he, you know, he spoke all kinds of judgments against that guy. And then Nathan literally stuck his finger in, in David's face and said, David, you're that guy. You're that guy. And what was David's response? I'm the king. I do whatever I want? No. The truth was given to him, and there was a brokenness that happened. It was a sorrow that led to repentance. And we see that in David's life. The truth was pointed out to him. His sin was revealed, and it was a brokenness, not because he was caught, but it was brokenness. Because God suddenly revealed the darkness of his heart. When you you read the words of David, say, Oh Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. The brokenness that took place in his heart. A cleansing of himself from the filthiness of the flesh and the filthiness of his spirit. For the Corinthian church, it was now that vehement desire, that, that zeal to do and accomplish the right thing. They showed the honesty now and the integrity of their hearts. Down in verse 12, Paul writes, Therefore, although I wrote to you, I did not do it for the sake of him who had done the wrong, nor for the sake of him who suffered the wrong, but that our care for you in the sight of God might appear to you. In other words, Paul didn't have so much a a personal agenda as much as he had a God-led agenda. It's not like he wrote this letter and says, look, you guys have, have you know, degraded me, you've, you've slandered me, and you need to get that right because I'm hurting inside and you're messing up my reputation. No, Paul didn't have a personal agenda in that. He says, no, you guys are messing up and you're messing up your relationship with the Lord because you're not living right, you're not choosing right, you're not speaking right. Once again, Paul has this eternal outlook, this eternal vision. He wasn't caring so much about the temporary issue of who was right and who was wrong. He wanted to make sure and certain that God's kingdom was going to be honored in the lives of the children of of the people there in Corinth and in his own life. And whenever we respond to someone who's done or is doing wrong, whether that wrong be to us or to others, the perspective that you and I need to have is an eternal one, not a temporary one. A temporary perspective will get us nothing. Oh, it might put out a small little fire for a moment, but beloved, underneath that, there is a raging inferno that needs to be dealt with. That's why we have to have an eternal perspective. We need to honestly ask the question and be ready for the answer How is this all going to play out in God's great kingdom plan? Even if it doesn't turn out the way that I feel it should or the way that I want it to. What happens if somebody does wrong you and you come and you speak to them? 
Say, well, you know, I'm just speaking the truth and love here to you, brother. Man, what you said, what you did has, has hurt me tremendously. And you hope that through that, you know, that there would be reconciliation. But what happens if there's not? I'll show her who's boss. I'll show him who has the upper hand. Or do we say, no, we're going to move beyond this. I want to have an eternal outlook. Am I thinking of a temporary fix? Or am I truly walking with an eternal focus? Once Paul realized the church was desiring to move in the right direction, he realized they weren't quite there yet. But at least they had the heart to do the right thing, and they were taking a real and positive step to get things right. Verse 13, Therefore, we've been comforted in your comfort. And we rejoice exceedingly more for the joy of Titus because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, man, I'm not ashamed of him. I boasted about you. I'm not ashamed of boasting about you guys. But as we spoke all things to you in truth, even so our boasting to Titus was found to be true. And his affections are greater for you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How with fear and trembling you received him. Therefore, I rejoice that I have confidence in you in everything. Paul now had sanctified bragging rights about the church in Corinth. They had been wrong, but they received correction. They repented And now they had the zeal to do the right thing. Paul knew they weren't perfect, but Paul remained remained and, and maintained that patience to continue walking with him. In their sin, they were willing to receive correction and move in the right direction. Folks, we can't hope for any better action or reaction than that, that when sin is pointed out, repentance is made, and then a turn to continue to do the right thing happens, rather that be as a church or rather that be as individuals. God help the church or the individual who's not willing to accept the responsibility of grace, not willing to listen either for the, for the correction, to repent and to turn around and walk the path with a passion and a zeal for the things of God, not willing to cleanse themselves from all filthiness of flesh and spirit and to move forward in perfecting holiness in the fear of God, but also the willingness to walk with others who once they have been corrected and have made the confession and had true repentance, a sorrow that leads to godliness that we wouldn't walk with them in the midst of that. As Jesus says, he who is without sin Cast the first stone. Cast the first stone. Have you failed this week? Once, twice, maybe, maybe I ought to say today. You, know. you see, every one of us, we're going we're gonna to stumble. And that's why you need to have patience with me. We need to have patience with each other. Because in this world, there's going to be times of stumbling. God help us to maintain the patience, to love, and to minister the truth always, and be willing to accept the truth also.
thank you for listening to today's message from The Open Word. We hope that the words Pastor David has shared from the book of 2 Corinthians have touched your life and that you're eager to dive into a deeper relationship with Jesus. We'd like to invite you to join us next time on The Open Word, but you don't have to wait to hear more messages from the Word of God. With details on how you can listen online, here's Pastor David. Hey, thanks, Chris. The Open Word has an archive of previous messages ready to be listened to, downloaded, or shared at theopenword.com. Simply click on the teachings link at the top of the page. You can also take The Open Word with you as you go by subscribing to our podcasts. This can be done through our website or by searching for The Open Word on iTunes. By subscribing, you'll have sound, Bible-based teachings with you anytime, anywhere. Thanks, Pastor David. While you're at TheOpenWord.com, be sure to click on About for more information about the ministry of The Open Word and more about Pastor David. There's also a link to Pastor David's blog, another great resource that looks deeper into what the Bible is teaching us. That website again is TheOpenWord.com. That's all the time we have for here today on The Open Word. Join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of 2 Corinthians. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope you have a blessed day.